All right, let's see. It says we're live. I'm waiting for clarification. Um, I'm in the live chat. Sorry about this, guys. We had some issues with the other software. So we are signed in here with Zoom. I'm waiting to see if it is popping up on the live feed on the channel. I think it might be a different link. It looks to me to be the same link. Oh, it's the same? Oh, shit. Shoot, I, so. I mean. All right. <laughs> now, now, we, now we're going to get censored. <laughs> oh, yeah, per- all right. No, this is perfect. Uh, th- then we don't, we don't have to try to redistribute the link while we're talking here. All right. Uh, so, yes, guys. Welcome. No, shit. Oh, shit, shit. I'm off my game. Welcome back to Everything EOS, the longest running EOS podcast. I'm your host, Zach Gall, uh, from Liquid Apps, Dappiness, Everything EOS. I am here with David Pack. Uh, shoot, I, I don't have your name in front of me. Is it Pac-Man it's- or Pac-Man? Sorry. No, it's Pac-Ham. Pac-Ham. Wow. I messed it up. Your, your name on your screen. Uh, all right, so I have my notes in front of me. <laughs> David P. That's just all I am sorry, everybody, for being off my game. All right. I'm here with the CTO of Shintai, Philip Hamnet and David Packham, the CEO. Um, I'm just going to stop talking here because I'm a little flustered. So I'll let you guys introduce yourself. I'll let David start. Introduce yourself. Phil, introduce yourself. And then let's just get into like high level. Like what is Shintai for anyone who has been living under a rock for a year? Which, which actually could be years, a lot of people. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, yep, yeah, I'm David Packham. So I uh, co-founded EOS 42, one of the original block producers that launched the EOS mainnet. Um, and as what sprung out of that was Shentai, which started off as a, a token leasing exchange to handle the on-chain resourcing for uh, EOS itself, the CPU market. Um, and from that, we, we built out an on-chain order management system. And from that, therefore, the whole project has sprung out from that as a, as a project in its own right. Yep, I'm Philip. Um, I originally, before I entered the blockchain space, I w- uh, was a physicist and I uh, did programming in data analysis and I did that for many years. And then when I finished this, I uh, was working for a subcontractor for Airbus uh, where we, I was doing embedded software systems um, for uh, airplanes. And then... Uh, as luck would have it, David hired me to work on the Shintai project. Uh, was one of the original developers on the on the original Shintai smart contract for EOS leasing, and um, yeah, since then I've been working on that and building out all of these new products with the rest of the team. Uh, we're, we're just talking uh, before the show. I was looking into a little bit of both your backgrounds, and I asked Phil about the Monte Carlo simulations you did because that's super interesting oh, to yeah. me because. Were, were you using it in like a finance financial modeling or were you using it for something else? No, I was using it. So the, the project I was doing was about uh, evacuation dynamics. So I had Monte Carlo simulations of uh, cars in a city. And the question was, if, if there was some sort of like big emergency and like everyone had to evacuate an entire city for whatever reason, uh, the question was, how would communication in like the modern era, so like people using Twitter and Facebook and, and their phones to, to tell others, don't go on the highway, the highway is completely jammed, for example. Like how would that affect the speed and the way in which people manage to escape the city? Um, Interesting. Yeah, and so I had Monte Carlo simulations built out to simulate this for Manchester and Manhattan. I did it for Manchester and Manhattan. Yeah, I, that's awesome, man. So uh, the reason that struck a uh, chord with me was because at the the DAP, DAP Network Hackathon, uh, Team Vigor, uh, which from Vigor DAC, which I'm a part of, they did a Monte Carlo simulation for financial modeling to model risk uh, with, with financial markets. So 
uh, I, I'm not super familiar with Monte Carlo, but I know the people who are working with it are much, much smarter than me, and they're all really, really good at math. Uh, and, and David, you just you just uh, did something interesting. So outside of work, uh, outside of Shintai, you were just like um, what were you like the interim CFO of Warbly, and you you worked uh, through uh, what would you even call that with Warbly? Was that an acquisition? Uh, yeah, an ac acquisition exactly. So yeah, I, I did kind of brush over my background twenty years in um, financial services prior for a range of banks and things like that. That's actually been useful for um, a lot of what we're now doing with with Shintai. it's effectively a decentralized finance project um, and and therefore that overlap is certainly helpful i think for for us as a project to have someone with that kind of background in, involved as well of course um but yeah um warbly i was asked to come in actually as an interim cfo um uh dominic thomas the ceo and one of the co-founders um, they had that kind of deal almost bubbling in the background in the pipeline. They needed to just do a wholesale review of their internal finances. What most people don't appreciate is that Warbly's been incredibly well set up from the start in terms of legals um, and, and the way they handled every aspect of, of the token side of things and locking down KYC and AML at the account level. Got a lot of flack for that. And, and it led to the token suffering from lack of liquidity because it hasn't got a, because you couldn't trade it legally in terms of its, you know, um, and so on. So that, that's been both a kind of blessing and a curse for it. But the reason, therefore, it's it's been bought out by um, an institutional buyer, uh, Amazix Capital, is, is precisely because it's done so many things the right way and can now be leveraged as a platform for um, bringing in all sorts of accredited investors and uh, institutional buyers and so on to uh, deploy security tokens, um, carry out issuances, and, and as a platform, a fundamental platform for um, regulated securities trading and other products like, say, oh, I don't know, bonds, for example, you know, that kind <laughs> of stuff. I? Yeah, yeah just so, as an example. <laughs> so that all ties in. Uh, I'm going to jump around the order of my topics here, but um, you guys just got a, a license. So are you in the process of getting your approval of the license in Singapore for a monetary authority of singapore is that a money service license yeah what, what? so yeah that's right so it's uh the monetary authority of singapore or mas mass um yeah we've been working with them for about six months now and uh we were investigating first of all and had really just assumed we'd need to go into their fintech sandbox so for those not familiar with what that is a sandbox is is as the name implies uh, a regulatory environment where you can deploy a product especially something kind of newer maybe a bit more experimental um and they can watch uh test markets actually being um simulated um indeed with actual institutional clients and so on um and they can just watch it and make sure they're happy at a very small scale that this thing is operating as intended before they then give you the green light and say right now launch this out in the wild and scale it up um they actually decided though looking at the token control framework that's in place and the other regulatory um, aspects related to both Warbly and ourselves that actually there were no concerns about us being compliant and therefore just told us to bypass that and just apply for licensing and go. So that's actually been a great outcome for us. It's, it's moved the whole uh, roadmap forwards in terms of what we can achieve and when, um, which is great. So the application's underway. Um, it typically takes about three months. So what, what kind of opportunities does this license open up? I mean, getting that regulatory clarity is like the holy grail of, of yeah. pretty much. It, yeah, it, it, I, don't, I don't think no, no, whether most people kind of understand it is quite a big deal. Absolutely. But uh, what it means is that we uh, were able to uh, 
issue or, or at least handle for other, other clients the issuing of security tokens in a regulated environment. Actually, Amazix um, are oversighted by uh, the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority out of London as well. So they will likewise have the opportunity to do that from uh, oversight out of, out of the uh, UK as well. But it gives, it gives clients options, right? It depends where they're based in the world. It depends what kind of uh, regulatory oversight they're happy with. They're actually both high quality regulators, pretty well oversighted. And all of this really is, is for me, a precursor to uh, the US, which is it just uh, the SEC, for example, they just want to see this kind of thing up and running in another um, jurisdiction before they're going to be necessarily happy with expansion out into the US as well. But that's really what a lot of this is long term. If you look at the roadmap for us, part of the um, part, part of the plans for us. That's funny. So you think it, basically if there's success with this test market outside of the US, you're, you're under the assumption that it will be relatively easy to, to get? I would never say easy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but easy, yeah. It, it's, it's definitely feasible at that point. Absolutely. So we, we would likely be looking to partner with existing in, um, institutions already in the US rather than us for apply for licensing. They can leverage Shintai and and potentially Warbly as a as a chain to, to carry out the same activity that's that's ongoing elsewhere. Fully regulated, fully oversighted. The regulators can plug in and 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 see all of the things like aspects like compliance reporting and so on in real time. So there's there's a lot of potential with all of this. Um, but we are pretty I think diverging a bit in terms of where this is. This is more where it's all potentially heading. I think you know. You guys went under quite a transition over the last year. I, I think just even the stuff we just talked about for the last five minutes or so might be surprising to some people uh, because I, I think the general EOS community that hasn't been following your project over the last six months or so, they see you guys as just like a leasing platform. So that, that's how you guys got your start. Was yeah. before, I think, I think the common, the common conception the is basically, um, oh, since I got killed by the Rex. That, that's, mm. that's it. That's how you sum up the project so for a lot of people who aren't, are not familiar with what we were doing. Whereas actually, um, it's really, you remember, you remember EOS Weekly, right? Uh, oh, yeah. It, I, it was around for a while. I, I, I don't know if it's still I, around. I, I miss that know. guy. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's he gone MIA since B1 June. He did. And he did a really good video a um, long time ago now analyzing what we were planning to do versus the Rex itself and, and explaining the potential of all these other projects having the opportunity to launch their own leasing markets and what that actually practically means. Um, and, and so he sort of saw early, at least, I, I think, with that one small subcomponent of the wider model that we've been building out, which is that leasing is actually a, a small part of it. And there's NFT trading and leasing, there's security token leasing and trading, there's you know bonds, there's a range of other asset classes. You've got the mint service for deployment of, of the actual um, doing your own raises and so on. All of that kind of is then bound together by the checks token itself. And yeah, so, I, I, but you're right. The big misconception, I think right now, mm -hmm. even amongst quite a, a lot of the EOS community who aren't really familiar and haven't taken a look in is, oh, well, yeah, these guys, it's just a, a project that got wiped out by the Rex. It must be, right? <laughs> I, I mean, in essence though, our project was born because of the Rex, right? Because originally we were just yep. doing EOS leasing. And then when the VEX came out and we saw that actually it would take away um, our main market from us, um, that's when we decided we needed to pivot. Um, and that led to all of this of what we're doing now. But th there's other chains. So, I mean, there's at least probably, what, like 10 EOSIO chains that 
I could probably just name off the top of my head. And not all of them implemented the Rex from the start. Mm -hmm. I don't think Warbly doesn't use the Rex. I don't think Wax uses the Rex. As a matter of fact, William Quigley didn't like the Rex. And now we saw the issues that we've been having since November. Block one pivoted. They have like a one-year action plan to like phase out the old Rex and get a new resource model. So the people who hesitate, or not the people, the blockchain, the EOSIO chains that hesitated on deploying Rex right away, they actually uh, may look smart in the end. But with, with Shintai, uh, are there plans to deploy the, the token leasing model on, on a chain like Wax or Warbly? Absolutely. Um, we Right now, we, on the Kylin testnet, we're testing the EOS leasing markets that we'll be releasing on the EOS mainnet. But that process works exactly the same on the WAX, on BOSS, TELUS, any, any of the normal other EOSIO test net, uh, blockchains, it works the same way. So once we're confident that it works uh, on our testnet and that there are no uh, fatal flaws or bugs in it and we, we can deploy it, then uh, the plan is to start deploying it, not just on EOS, but on all of the other chains as well, because it's, it's no extra work for us to do that, essentially. It's actually a big reason I had to have you guys on. I, I was pressured by the Liquid Apps and DAP Network community. Our communities are like so intertwined but with, with Shintai and, and Liquid Apps. It's like we share the same community. And they, they've, been, they've been begging and asking, when DAP leasing market? Hmm. Right. So um, the DAP leasing market is uh, in testing and development right now. So there's two stages to it. Um, the, the first stage is uh, sort of like the MVP uh, DAP leasing market. And then the second stage is going to be a more advanced uh, version with a lot more features added to it. And that's going to be coming a, a couple of weeks after the, the MVP. Uh, the MVP is already on the Kylin testnet, but without a UI. So the UI is being developed and will be being released soon, very soon. I, I, I don't want to set, set a date on it. Um, uh, I Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. We had the meeting yesterday, uh, but that's not live yet. Um, not, yeah, not I, quite yet. I didn't see it functioning or anything. I just saw like how it was laid out, the information and stuff. I, I can't wait for everyone else to get to use it because right now uh, on DAP Network, um, we, there's only one leasing market. So Blockstart has a great leasing market, but you can only rent tokens to basically use uh, Blockstart's DSP. Whereas mm -hmm. once you guys launch your marketplace, it, it's going to allow you to rent and stake to any DSP, which will be interesting. Um, yeah, it's going to act as a sort of portal for DSPs in a sense as well. You'll be able to see each of the providers and packages and services yeah. that are available. Um, and so what, what are marketplace? So you're, you're, you got DAP in the pipeline. You've got, uh, is, is the Wax and Warbly stuff further in the pipeline or will DAP be first? Um, EOS, Wax, Wobbly, they will be first. They will come okay. before DAP. The, the reason for this is that the DAP market has, is, is quite unique in terms of its tokenomics, and it required a different kind of marketplace. So rather than it being your classic order book marketplace, it's going to be uh, very much like the VEX in that all DAP lenders will put their DAP tokens into a large pool of tokens, and borrowers can take from that pool and... Uh, they, we will be generating a, a DAPREX token, we're going to call it, um, which works exactly the same way that VEX does in that you can uh, give it back into the, the Shintai markets to get back your DAP at a later date. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be some, some differences between this and VEX. For example, the DAPREX tokens are going to be uh, tradable. Um, 
So that means if you have your DAP tokens uh, in the Shintai market and and the Shintai market gets completely locked up because all the tokens are being leased out right now, which happens with VEX sometimes, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. like when the EIDOS thing happened. Um, in that moment, you're stuck for at least 30 days for the duration of a lease before you can get your DAP tokens back. Or you could trade your DAP REX tokens to somebody at a premium and he can get your tokens back 30 days later, but you can have your liquid DAP right now. I th- I, I, that idea, so I shared that idea with Ryan back in April and he liked it. Is that, did he come back from the ES World Expo in San Fran and was talking about that? Uh, if he did, I don't remember it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something common in traditional financial markets to be able to do swaps. Like, um, yeah. I was watching, uh, the reason I did that intro with the Max Dapp intro is because I just watched Phil's interview from like a week or two ago on Max Dapp and he, you were explaining the bond market, which we're going to get into. And you were talking about how like, basically you could be locked into a 10 year bond, but then you could swap it and maybe David's more interested in the yield and I just want my money back and I can get out of the bond. So that's essentially what you're doing here, but with utility tokens, it sounds like. Exactly. On the right track here. Um, so yeah, you mentioned how this, uh, for the DAP uh, leasing market, it's more Rex-like, uh, mm-hmm. w- which is different than all of your other markets, um, which, which are more, um, what's it called? The order matching engine, the OMS. Yeah, the, I would call them classic order book markets. Um, what, what are you guys doing with your traditional order book markets? I want to get into more of the, the regulated deck stuff because that stuff was super, when I was researching this, like I, I love DeFi and it's interesting that you guys are taking like a regulated approach to DeFi because traditionally when I think of DeFi, I think of something that just kind of runs itself. Like it can't be stopped. Like I, I would give the example of like MakerDAO, but even that has like centralized controls. So like nothing's at this point, I don't think truly completely decentralized in DeFi. I think the founders and the, the um, I guess the, the people with the most hands-on exert a little bit of uh, control over it. But how does DeFi work in a completely regulated environment? Uh, and also, I, I want to hear more about the D-bonds on this. Can I just, just I actually, I, I was one, of the, one of the big... Uh, <laughs> One of the big things about decentralization is that there's varying degrees of it. And, and that's one of the, the nuances I think we're starting as a community gradually in crypto to start appreciating that, you know, a great example is the difference between proof of work, proof of stake and DPoS. Right? And, and you can argue there's varying degrees of centralization versus decentralization and they have trade-offs. And exactly the same uh, logic applies with things like the design of uh, markets and of, uh, of an exchange. So by going fully peer-to-peer, for example, as the underlying structure of an exchange, which is possible, you have trade-offs. You, you, you lose, for example, the certainly, certainly in, in its current state, you lose a degree of comfort from regulators that they can fully oversight the market and ensure that it doesn't become a cesspit for money laundering or, or whatever, that kind of you know, nefarious activity, which is ultimately what they're there to try and stop. Um, but you also lose some efficiencies related to how a centralized um, smart contract can, in theory, also use that to market make and also for arbitrages to, to come in and keep efficiency between multiple markets that are, uh, share the same asset class, that kind of thing. So I, I only mention that because um, it, it feeds into discussions we, we have with the likes of regulators on what works for them as much as works for all of us. 
you know, in one sense, you ask me, I'd say, let's just go for fully peer-to-peer -peer on everything, right? And, and decentralize it all down to that level. Mm -hmm. But it has to be done in, in a way that regulators are also comfortable with as well. So that's why with regards to the exchange when it launches, it's still, it, it's, it's decentralized by virtue of the fact that it's completely on chain, everything. But there's still uh, a, a structural design which is going to look very familiar to people in, in that uh, it acts as a custodian during the actual moment of the transactions itself. Is that broadly correct, Phil, from your yeah, point of view? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. But that's why it's, it's partly because without that, um, how do you really clearly evidence uh, transaction activity and control over the transaction activity in a way that regulators aren't necessarily happy with yet? Now, it may well be that we, we can move it to a, an even more decentralized form over time. But with you know, it's one step at a time with things like this. Uh, I think the very fact that we have a de uh, regulated uh, exchange coming to to the EOS uh, IO um, community is going to be a big deal, whether they realize it or not yet. So once once this thing launches, so once you get the license, do you guys have the exchanges kind of ready to deploy, or is it you get the license and there's still some uh, work work ahead? So um, we already have the the major part of the uh, swapping to token swapping live on the testnet, and that seems to be working without any issues whatsoever so far. There is an additional aspect that needs to be added and tested, which we haven't done yet, which is the uh, on-chain compliance. So at some point uh, in in the over the next few months, we'll be looking at uh, a smart contract that can store on chain your compliance credentials essentially and then as as a token is swapped or as you make an order to for a trade or whatever it is you're doing we can then compare your order and your identity against this compliance smart contract and check if what you're doing is allowed or not um, this part is still to be done but to be honest I, I don't anticipate any major issues with with that side of it that should be relatively straightforward i would say um so yeah fingers crossed as soon as we're licensed we're live <laughs> that's that's awesome so it's almost like voice launches tomorrow so we, we've been talking since b1 june about you have this voice verified account it proves that you're a, a unique id this, this sounds like it could serve a similar purpose so like someone who's like a a finance guy he doesn't care about voice but he, he's using your tools he gets approved from the compliance is that um validation for his compliance could that be used by other applications potentially that would work with you guys to to kind of share that compliance i i, I keep hearing the term a lot from from the Warbly guys of compliance as a service is yeah, that, that something you guys are, are trying to do as shintai also well, well that's actually the big service that amazics capital the new owners of Warbly are, are, are focusing pretty much full on right now building out they need it to get their own um uh, clients onboarded onto the Warby chain and start doing things like security token issuances, trading activity, all sorts of other things. That's how it's going to happen. You need compliance as a service. So uh, certainly the way Warbly has been designed is for others to leverage off that service too, and indeed for competing services over time to, to, to launch on there as well. So we, we've certainly been proceeding with that and, and having had a really good call with our CEO earlier this week, I've got no uh, doubts that they're going to deliver on, on this. Um, they've actually got the EOS Titan team working pretty much full full time on this right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's definitely a, a high quality tech team there behind it and that are working on this as well. 
So how's the, their compliance stuff work, work into Shintai for, for the regulated DEX aspect? Is, is it the same one and the same or is, are they just completely separate? I'm just reading into this wrong. Um, no, we, we, well, we have to wait and see it, I would say a little bit, but, uh, our intention at this point, I would say would be to use the compliance as a service provided by, um, Aginix, right? Um, yeah, but, it's, it's a Majix capital primarily. Yeah. Majix, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's what I meant. Yeah. So, so the, I, I know you guys uh, re-released your white paper uh, in January and you mentioned um, some of the IBC stuff. You want to be cross-chain with everything uh, in the future. Um, would that compliance uh, aspect, so if that's happening on Warbly, would you be able to have that same compliance once you're verified with your account? Is it in your roadmap to kind of carry that to any chain or how's that going to look? So I don't understand how that, that can fully necessarily work in the sense mm -hmm. that once things are, are taking place with other other chains, you're out of the effective compliance sandbox, right? So mm -hmm. so in terms of how we plan to scale, we're definitely looking at leveraging the DAP network to the full for horizontal scaling. And I mean, Philip will talk to you and you know all day about, about how that, <laughs> that potentially is going to work. And that enables via things like Liquid Link to, mm -hmm. to service other chains. Obviously, some of the applications on Ethereum, for example, a couple of early exploratory chats they're interested in the principle of it obviously they need to see a working product and something more mm -hmm. tangible before they can talk further um but but yeah um in theory you can leverage aspects like identity in theory but i don't think that necessarily is quite how it fits i think it is best to look at um the warbly compliance as a service as um being an enabler for any kind of financial related market so we have a tokenized real estate um, partner who um, is just just about to be announced actually for more details on that that's going to leverage Shintai's merchant network as its back end and uh, so logically they need compliance as a service as well for their own client base because of the nature inherent nature of the way the real estate industry is is regulated too and it's an it's an investment class in its own right so again logically they will deploy on Warbly as well um, and it will be in in the that that side of of Shintai um, then if you get back to the um, the likes of, say, utility tokens being leased and traded and so on, they can take place on multiple other chains and they don't need necessarily KYC and an AML in place. You mm -hmm. can do that in, in a more conventional sense right now because there isn't regulatory controls around them in that sense in the, in the way that we do. We're talking about really, if you think about with DeFi, we're largely now talking about real world um, markets and services and being able to actually bring the benefits of blockchain to them. And to do that, you have to obviously replicate and understand why they're regulated in the first place, um, which actually the ICO boom kind of nicely showed, right? Why are IPOs regulated <laughs> to kind of stop a bunch of shit scammers coming along and selling you a, you know, a pipe dream on a white paper? Uh, That's but, where you'll yeah. get him demonetized. <laughs> exactly. Well, he's already demonetized. He swore within 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you think of uh, the Hester Purse? I, I know you're not US-based, but what did you think of uh, her proposal for the SEC for the um, uh, grace period for tokens? Yeah, I, I think it's a step in the right direction. Um, I, I think that there's Wyoming, for example, there's some, some really good thought leaders in the um, regulatory blockchain space in the US who are not getting an, are necessarily being listened to quite enough at, the, at this stage. What you, you really have is an ongoing battle between, um, you know, bet, 
hawks and uh, and whatever the equivalent is on the other side of it with regards to regulatory oversight of cryptocurrency. A lot lot of uh, people in the US in, in the regulatory and governance side right now see it as a threat rather than an opportunity. And it's it's trying to ensure that they gradually understand that they're it's actually damaging US the US long term to not participate. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to see the likes of China and, and, and Asia continuing to pull ahead if, if they don't enable and free up the entrepreneurs to, to try and innovate. Um, right now, a lot of them have just been scared or you'd be shocked by the number of really good quality, experienced um, US entrepreneurs who are based out, of, for example, London or Hong mm-hmm. Kong. Yeah. And they're there. They've been literally pushed offshore so they could do what they want to do and, and, and get on with it. So. Yep, that's that's why it's it's good that you guys aren't U.S. based because you had uh, a thousand mile head start. Um, and I, well, I, I do like sorry. It's why it's, it's why ultimately though we we went for Singapore because it's a really welcoming regime that's open minded and it, it's not going to sit there and and you know it, it it understands that you need to allow innovation to to try and flourish and not just squash it under red tape and unrealistic uh, rules that don't apply to a new asset class which in some ways this is mm-hmm. i guess we're talking tokens let me reel back in the checks uh let's talk checks token token economics i think that was like the update and the main update in the white paper that was re- released in january how what's the te- checks tokens utility what could you use it for and how how could it be used to earn a passive income okay so there are several ways that it can be used and we're always adding more. I'll start with the the, uh, the biggest one. So um, you have to imagine uh, right now, we only have the Boyd market live on the mainnet for leasing, but over time we'll add more and more. And when NFTs go live and so on at the end of the year, you can foresee at some point in the future, we have like a thousand markets live, right? Or whatever, some huge number. Um, if you wanted to make passive income on those leasing markets without the checks token, You'd have to look at them all, assess which one you wanted to try and make passive income with, buy that token, lease it on that market, hope that the price of that token stays stable or goes up but not go down. At the end of the lease period, you get the token back. It's very risky. Um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to do this if that's your goal to make passive income. Uh, the checks token is designed to look at all the markets figure out which one has the highest return on investment. And then it does some clever internal conversion magic to essentially lease on that market uh, as if it were that native token. And that in that way, you get the highest return on investment possible for your checks uh, while, it's in, while it's being leased in this way. Now, that's the first use case, which is called smart matching. There's a second use case linked to the merchant network. So we have a merchant network and this is uh, allowing anybody to plug into our order management system and they can earn their own fees for, for doing so. If you wanna be a part of the merchant network though, you've got to stake some checks tokens. Um, for this, there's going to also be a checks leasing market where you can lease checks as, as checks. And the great thing is you, that you, you can pay do both checks of to lease checks. Um, no, no, you, you yeah. I guess yeah. so. That that, sounds... that, that's how the DAP marketplace, whenever I was on that call with you guys yesterday, you pay DAP to rent DAP. And um, right. this is the same. You pay checks to rent checks. Exactly. You'll pay like a small amount of checks to rent the amount of checks you need in order to run your merchant. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so if you're a checks lender, if you have checks and you want to make passive income, you will also be lease, uh, lending it on, on that market as well. And the great thing is you can do both at the same time. So you can smart match your checks and have it on the checks lending market simultaneously and earn double passive income from it in this way. Um, these are the first two use cases for checks. There will be more use cases coming as we release more and more products. And we have this attitude, basically, whenever we have an idea for a new product, uh, we sit there and say, uh, can, can we find a good utility for checks in this? For example, we also use it in the automated resource management system we have uh, for reduced fees. So we have fees on that, on, that, uh, on the ARM. And um, if you pay with checks, then the fees are halved relative to EOS. For example, so like like BNB, I think that's the thing most. Yeah, like it 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 saves money by using the native currency rather than like on, on uh, buy and be whatever you're trading would get raked with a fee. Cool. Yeah. So so I think the value here. So I, I think a lot of people hear about these rental and leasing markets, and I always hear like the examples of like, oh, I could rent a sword. Like when talking about NFTs, I don't I don't see that as happening super soon. I, I think the model that you described of why you would need to rent checks instead of own it is is the bigger use case so with the merchant network uh to to deploy that you need a minimum amount of checks is, is there a set number right now or is it no uh, we're, we're figuring we, we could right just now. make one up let's say a hundred because i know that's not how many it'll be but so let, let's say it, it will be an amount that, that links to the size and activity of the market that therefore is in how much it's therefore utilizing the underlying RMS. It was like the capacity of the, the RMS itself. You're, you're buying capacity in the same way you buy CPU capacity on EOS. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's got that, that kind of parallel. But I mean, the, the merchant network ultimately is, is about decentralizing the entire front end of, of Shintai. So mm -hmm. other businesses can now set up their own exchange, regulated exchange, uh, leasing markets, you know, you could curate your own extra special NFT trading and leasing marketplaces and focus just doing that front end better than everybody else and not have to worry about building a, an order management system to do all of that. You know, that's that's the really where we're at now with this as a concept. I think the big difference with these rental markets, it's just like if you think of it like real estate, the difference between renting and buying. So let's let's hypothetically say you need $100,000 of tokens to do something, whether it's the merchant network or what. And then if I had the option to lease those tokens instead at like a 10% interest rate, instead of paying $100,000 upfront, I have to stake $100,000 worth of tokens. I'm subjected to the volatility risk that entire time they're staked. I have the option to pay less than 1%. So less than 10, what would it be? If it was a 10% APR, it'd be like less than- You're a, like $15,000 a year or something, right? Um, yeah. Instead of 150,000 tied up. And you're right. I mean, what you're doing there is you're saying, and imagine the, the token price shoots up in a speculative bubble just because the whole market's gone crazy. Suddenly it becomes prohibitively expensive for you to run a merchant marketplace because checks cost a fortune. Or you realize, you know what, this marketplace is great, but the checks that I'm, I am holding is now worth a fortune. I'm selling that and out I go. Mm -hmm. But it's far better decoupling the price like that and be able to say, yep, this is your ongoing running costs and, you, and you're much like a, you know, somebody who runs a shop, doesn't own the underlying real estate. And, and that's really the comparison with, with exactly. this as well. I think it's the more common model. Um, you go out to any yeah. business, you, you go out to whatever your local city is, you go to all the restaurants. I, I could bet less than 10% of them probably own the real estate that they're operating out of. It just doesn't make sense. You don't need to always own, I guess. I, so that's why I really see the potential here, especially I see it crystal clear for DAP network.
because mm. we see the utility already with what like block starts doing with their rental market. We've seen Rex, we we've seen Shintai for over a year now. So um, that's really exciting. I want to get back. You, we talked about IBC a little bit back um, and now we're talking about the checks token and we've talked about deploying different pieces of checks or marketplaces on different chains. How does that work with the checks token uh, being used on multiple chains? How's it currently being done? And I guess it, what's the long-term plans for that? Okay. So right now it isn't being done because we don't have any of the products that aren't on ES mainnet yet. Uh-huh. Um, we have a plan for this, but we're holding our cards close to our chest for now. Um, you'll invite us on again in the future and I'll tell you all about that one. <laughs> Oh yeah, man, that, that, that was one of the very ones exciting I wanted plan. Here. Yeah, we have a very exciting plan for that. But um, but that, that's usually his way of saying that he and the devs have cooked up something really cool and creative, and they want to just finish it and release it with a bang rather than tell everyone up front. Uh, yeah, we we tend to, yeah we much prefer to to not tell anyone anything and then just release products rather than tell everyone, then realize that something's gone wrong and it's going to take an extra month to finish, and then everyone's saying when's it coming out? No. Much rather su- happy surprises, but I I, w- I will tell you about this at some point in the future. There's not yet. We need to think about it a little bit more, uh, but it's very exciting if it if it works how we think it will. And it's something we haven't seen before. It's not just like a no. peg or something simple. Yeah, you'll yeah. It's not it's not something that simple, but it will allow IBC of the checks token um, it, across any use, chain. Does it use Liquid App or DApp Network at all? Stop fishing. <laughs> I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you later. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys pick, pick the next topic. I think I, hit, I, I think I hit everything I kind of wanted to talk about. I kind of just want to bullshit about some fun stuff. What do you, what do you guys think of the voice launch tomorrow? Uh, I wish I wish I could take part. Oh, in yeah, Germany. you guys. I forget. Yeah, well, I can actually. Like, yeah, because I'm in this place now. So, uh, yeah, I, I think they're doing it the right way. As in, that they ha- I don't think Block 1 really have a choice with regards to needing to be uh go go the compliant route with this so they, they they might get a lot of flack initially from this but if you think about it what the labor association really shows is that if any of the existing social media platforms want to um add a should we say a token element that has a monetary component to it internally they're all going to have to take their entire user base and force them to go through kyc ml to participate in that otherwise it becomes a two-tier system of you know, one, if you want to monetize, you're going to have to go through this. So the point being, all the other users on other chains will have to do this, or other networks will eventually have to do this or opt not to. And if they don't, then they're at a competitive disadvantage long term in theory. So, you know, I think Block One are doing the right thing. They're doing that um, the right way because they really don't have a choice. But then outside of that, they're doing the right thing to, I think, go with a much more muted launch and, uh, and focus on a beta and trying to get the user experience right on what they're doing. Um, you want my view. I think they way overhyped it last June. Uh, I think that was a mistake. I think they were better off just um, saying, you know, let's celebrate the one year anniversary of the main net, maybe announce what we've got coming. They probably overcooked it a bit with hindsight and they probably would admit that, but that's fine. They're, they're handling it the right way now with a more, mm-hmm. with, with a soft launch. And I think it's a good way to do it. Yeah. There, there's no big pumps. There's no me doing crazy videos, hyping things up. Like this, this is how it needs to be. I think this yeah. is good. the expectation content and real delivery. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I'm looking forward to it. I already uh, said on Twitter, I want to do like real focus groups. I hope block one, uh, I, I know some of them tune in. So I hope that they can get some honest feedback. I'm going to bring 
some really great minds on here to kind of really pick it apart. Like we're, we're really not going to be nice about it, but that's no, I think, be... I think you, you're, you're right to do that because it's actually really good for feedback for them early on. You know, I mean, my only feedback so far from a quick look through the token tokenomics of voices, it doesn't really excite me at the moment. But, I, you know, I, I did say to somebody else, I think part of the reason for that is if I were them, that's because this is the first part of a wider jigsaw puzzle mm -hmm. of how you can expand out voice utility over time as it expands into a suite of or a network of, of apps and services and so on and so forth. And then it becomes inherently more exciting. But like the parallel of, right, what's checks used for right now? Well, you can reduce fees. Yeah, but then you've got all these other aspects that will come into play as more and more things come live. It's I think it's going to be that kind of parallel with the voice token. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think so too. I think th there's a lot of opportunity. I've, I've mentioned it on, on here before. I don't know. You guys probably didn't catch it, but I think like uh, paywalled content is a perfect use case for voice tokens. You get a daily allotment of tokens. You have your favorite sites that you like to, to go on. The paywall is an easy, great way to spend voice tokens. And um uh, the, the new uh, CEO of voice just came from Forbes and Forbes already has that functionality on Forbes.com right now where you could pay using Ethereum tokens uh, to get through that paywall. And I think that's a genius idea. And I would be mind blown if that's not part of their plan for, for just one small piece of the utility of the token, because man, I hate paywalls. I'll do everything to get around them. I, I, I hate it too, because I feel dirty about it because I'm like, man, these, these journalists should probably get paid, but instead I'm going to open up an incognito window. And if that doesn't work, then I got a VPN. And then if that don't work, I do like a little inspect and I like mess with the code, <laughs> but there needs to be a better way. So I've, I've been lasering on, on that as my, my use case that I, that I want to see because it's simple, easy to understand. And it's something that I, I want to support the content I consume, but I'm, I'm cheap, man. I'm real cheap. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited for voice though, but not, not for these reasons, but more for the, uh, the sort of social impact side of it. Cause mm -hmm. I, a few people have tried before to do sort of KYC style social media, but they, they never really got the, the network effects they needed in order to make that, uh, really work. You need, you need like a huge user base right from the get go mm -hmm. in order for, to get more people using it and, and so on. Um, and I think, I think block one have the ability to do that. Um, even though they're not doing that yet, uh, necessarily. But I'm very excited to see, just even out of curiosity, how it will affect online discourse when your name, your real name and your and a picture of your face uh, are guaranteed to be connected to everything you say and you can never get rid of it, right? Like I, I think the trolls there, are going to fall yeah, away. I mean... There's pros and cons to all of this, because yeah. if you're completely identified, you're almost too polite and too quiet because you're yeah. afraid to talk. So exactly. You, you can't have a, a discussion about something that you think might be socially contentious. Right. So, like, you know, you, you could want to have a, a deep discussion about politics and actually not want that tied back necessarily. You want to make your political points, mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily want it being then looked up by your employer and saying, oh, well, you're, you know, in the, especially in the tribalism of the U U.S. as a, an outsider coming, well, you're a Republican, I'm, I'm a Democrat, right? I'm not hiring you or, or I'm going to fire you because I don't like you support Trump or something. Right. I mean, it, it's almost, you know, at that kind of level, we want I, I hope they work out a way of ensuring that you can actually have discourse that doesn't get shut, of shut down freedom of speech in one element via the nature of social pressure. Maybe that just requires people to be a hell of a lot more open-minded and accepting of diversity of opinion, right? I don't know. So like this, I've seen this argument a lot and I, I see it kind of as 
a bit of what about of you right now because it it really depends on what you think voice is right and um like if if voice was trying to be the platform where you can say whatever you want then you don't need it because we've got twitter for that and people do that on twitter sure. right mm-hmm. yeah um so i don't i don't see it as like comparable in that sense now maybe they'll expand it at some point to because obviously there's also i've seen people on talking on twitter about like you know what about uh people who want to use something like voice in countries where you know it's completely against the rules to talk about certain topics right and where censorship is rife and and so on like well fine but voice isn't for the these use cases yet right um for now it's a place to talk I mean, think about it, like countries like Saudi Arabia, where they're like killing people outside of their own country for social discourse in, in Turkey last year. Uh, you, you have this, they already use social media to kind of like identify that stuff. And they'll put people in jail in certain countries in, in like the Middle East for, for that kind of thing. That's using Twitter, which, or, or Facebook or whatever, they're mo- everything they're monitoring. And that's not even like a, a perfect ID match. Whereas on voice, it's like, or a voice-like platform. It's like, you know, 100% this person is a citizen of your country. You know everything they've said. Like, it, it, it could be dangerous. But I, I think the thing to remember is, and voice isn't supposed to be everything to everyone. Exactly. It's serving a very specific use case. And if everything goes well, it seems like they'll open source the code eventually. And you'll be able to run your own version of voice that doesn't have the KYC, for example. You could have your own social network if you, if you want to have something with different rules or governance. So I, I think that's something to keep in mind because I'm seeing a lot of people on, on Twitter and ES community saying like, they're not going to sign up for voice. They think it sucks, but that's because they, they must, they don't fit in the niche that it's made for. It's, it's, it's made for a, a very specific use case of identified like social speech. And but, but you know what, that, that's an interesting one, which is it's that in one sense is one element of its USP. Uh, but the, the big question is going to be how do they get that critical mass of, of users to sign up and mm-hmm. encourage others to sign up? Mm-hmm. So I think they yeah. need to work out their, their plan on gamifying this thing and making it really fun. That's I, important. I, I've heard the term voice games or voice it games before from random people. Like I've been at a few like events uh, where, where I bumped into some B1 people and like the term voice it games or something with the word games in it i overheard or was in conversation oh, really? with it yeah so i don't know what it is uh i have no idea and that's, that's good is, i mean they got a lot of bright people so i'm sure they've thought this through um i, I but, hope but it's important i mean you look at the only two social media networks to break in through you know in the last five years it, it's um snap well it's just slightly over snapchat and tiktok and the reason is they were totally different from anything around them and they mm-hmm. were deemed fun by the, the very young user base that adopted them and drove the, them up to a critical mass. Mm-hmm. So uh, the question is, how does voice do an equivalent of that to reach that critical mass and bring them in regardless of KYC? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to take the influencers. I mean, a, a company the size of Google failed at this. Like, let's not forget yep. Google, Google yep. Plus, everyone. Uh, like, we all had an account, too. If you have a Gmail account, you probably had a Google Plus account, but you probably didn't use it. But what people don't realize is it was actually very good. It was. It Google had some Plus. nice features. It was really good. Yeah. Um, Just didn't get matter. A, no, get no one was on us. I tried it out and went, now this, is, this, this could be really good. Came back and just no one on it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's only yeah. good if all your friends were already there. Someone yeah. in the chat just said, That's I need a beard. 
Philip Jones said, Zach needs a beard. Well, the reason yeah. I don't have a beard is because my wife will not let me have a beard, guys. She says it is itchy. I am jealous of you two for those wonderful beards. There is no way we're ever going to hire you then, Zach, the entire team. Sorry, I, mean, I, I wish I had one, man. I, I'm, I'm so jealous. Like, <laughs> Peter Kay's got a nice beard. Uh, oh, man, who has it? Zane uh, from ES Radio has got a nice beard. I just, I, I, I don't even know what kind of beard I could even grow because I get yelled at it once I start getting scruffy. Uh, and then also in the chat, Ryan said, it'll give us, a, talking about voice, uh, Ryan from, from Shintai, it'll give us a sense of a roadmap for how you can deploy a large scale DAP on EOS IO as well. As a technician yourself, Phil, is this something that you're really looking forward to is just seeing like what like an yeah. enterprise scale DAP looks like on, on EOS Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite curious to see how, how Block One have built this. It would be, it would be great to, if they, if they do open source it just to see what their best practices are and stuff because so far you don't we've not really seen anything like that from anybody right like um i don't know what the biggest app is on on eos but they're, they're all made by startups so far right mm -hmm. and and they, we all have this startup mentality so it'd be interesting to compare that to to something made by a company like block one yeah, well, the question absolutely. is too, you know, and they must have been looking at the congestion on the network with, with I wouldn't say horror, but as a useful lesson for them about being over dependent on any single chain as a single point of failure in effect to their architecture. So I'm going to be really curious how they structure this. You know, they were talking about leveraging multiple chains. So I assume they're going to spin some up themselves and is one going to act as a backup for another? I, I don't know how this yeah, is going to work. I, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm curious about what's going to be going on under the hood. I mean, you know, never yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah. Same. Yeah, you know, the front end. Yeah. But I'm going to need someone like Phil or Peter K to explain it to me. Yeah, not me. Definitely yeah, not me. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to be the one. I need someone that could translate that to English for me. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I see this as super useful of this like big, massive use case of where you could use the blockchain, EOSIO in particular, to. I, I know it's going to be like thousands of people at first, but eventually, I, I think it's safe to say that if. I don't know. I, I don't want to throw out speculation, but let, do you guys, what's a realistic estimate? Let, let's speculate a little bit. By the end of 2020, how many users will be on voice or voice beta, whatever it may be? What's your, what's your over under here? Think what a million? I, I would be, well, it depends how long their beta, beta lasts for, right? So just the end of this year, yeah. I, I, I guess, I don't know if they'll be out of beta. I'm hoping that mm. EOSIO 3 will come out at whatever the equivalent of B1 June is. They haven't announced anything yet, but they announced B1 June last year, right around this same time. I think it was March, actually. They started saying like, June is coming, June is coming. Like they, they started like the noise. Yeah, you, you saw uh, Bloomer and Novogratz posting all the tweets about it as well and mm -hmm. doing, building some hype. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, it doesn't take much for that to kick back up, especially with the markets acting the way they are right now. Like their timing is impeccable, man. They exited during the bull run at the top Hmm. sold all that ethereum and now they're they're launching voice right as things are starting to pick up some steam which means it's going to crash tomorrow to nothing so this is not <laughs> i mean if i was to, to 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 guess on your question in terms of numbers i'd be disappointed if it was only a million by the end of the year i mean i mean okay. the problem is and, and this is a big one like i'm sure they gain they factored in is they can't rely on uh the crypto community most of them most of them hate block one they, they, they hate eos they're tribal you know, um, Ryan t told me today he posted uh, some stuff on the uh, Tezos and Tron communities just to let them know that Shintai could help them with some cross-chain services, mm -hmm. not Instaband. Yep. <laughs> but uh, for posting and saying, here's a DAP that can help your applications and, 
you know, we, we need to move beyond this. So I think that really illustrates something for me, which is being brutally honest, a lot of the rest of that crypto community are going to see it as deeply uncool, right? Because on principle, because it's based on EOS. So you're looking at the existing EOS community. It's, it's not very big. No. So if you take that user base is not, they have, to, and they will, I'm sure, have uh, an onboarding strategy that's going to be looking way beyond crypto. It, it's got Absolutely. to. They have to. Yeah. That, nice. Part of their motto is like um, bringing blockchain to the masses, right? So it's, yeah. they're, they're going to do it in such a way that you don't know that you're using blockchain, I imagine. But I think uh, the number of users they're going to have is going to be heavily dependent on how long the beta lasts. Because if they're doing a slow rollout beta across English countries only, and that takes several months, they're not, I, do, I doubt that they'll do much marketing for a product that isn't finished, right? It they'll, it when when it's finished, it's they're alive. Like, yeah. If they mark, like, if we did a mass rollout marketing plan for EOS right now, could you imagine the shit show, especially with all the micro forks and stuff going on right now, creating the accounts? That, that brings exactly. up a good point. The user onboarding, that's going to be probably the most important part of this voice beta is my sign-up process. Do I have to manage a key? I hope not. Like, no. what, what's that flow like to onboard into this app? How much do I know about the blockchain? And in the back of my mind, could my grandma do this if, if I handed her the phone and I needed her to sign up instead of me? And without me in her ear telling her what to do, could she do it herself? If they could pull that off, I'm very bullish on, on Voices uh, success in comparison to everything else we've seen up until now. Uh, I would many. be extremely supply, surprised if they didn't have it set up this way. I, 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 I like to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think that that is the case. But let's roll this back in the Shintai. We're talking about getting into regulated markets uh, with, your, with your license in Singapore. How do you guys onboard the, the like, traditional finance guy that doesn't know about blockchain, doesn't even care about blockchain? He wants the extra layer of security maybe uh, and maybe the lower fees and the extra features and bells and whistles. But how do you onboard him in right now? Like, what, what's your plans to make that as simple as possible? Well, I mean, that, that question, one, one big one there is that, I, well, it depends if you're looking at it from the point of view of getting them involved and receptive to utilizing us or whether you mean at a more technical level. Like, so an equivalent of what we've just been talking about onboarding in the way of onboarding a, a voice user. Which one are you thinking? Industry uh, participation or, or like the onboarding experience? I guess like the onboarding. So are your financial products, your regulated financial products, are they catered more towards regular people like people or like businesses and like professional like trading and businesses and professionals so uh, and that's okay. that's quite fundamental so as an industry um the finance industry is very technical yeah i mean it's it, it's used to embracing continuous innovation and it's used to heavily investing in tech so on that basis that's one of the reasons as a, as a sector it's probably invested more in blockchain so far than any other because mm. they can see the the benefits so i think there's there's not a problem there with them being receptive to it it's about in that there are others around who are trying to do certain similar things but they're both fundamentally all based on flawed tech stacks that can't deliver the, the kind of product they need and none of them are full full trade life cycle which means that you've got a small component of the overall trade maybe on a chain but the rest of it still has to be done manually through old legacy systems so it, it's 
it's going to be getting them to that point of being receptive. Outside of that, though, really what, we're, that, what you're referring to almost is, is business development strategy, right? Which is mm-hmm. what is your client acquisition strategy? Yes. How do you get them on board? You know, why should they be involved? How do you sell them on that? And, and there's a few, few things on that. One is we've got a compelling case because they can save a lot of money and there's efficiency gains. It's going to be very low cost and easy for them to um, become active participants on a test net and start um, participating in the early markets and do some, some testing. So it's, it's, we're going to make it as a low cost benefit for them or, uh, as possible. So they, can, they really have to find reasons not to get involved. Um, we're going to also make sure in the in the approaches too, they understand the the effectively inherent risks of of not participating in disruptive technology. I mean, most of them get it, but also the nature of the types of um, people will be approaching challenger banks, um, bond houses, uh, bond restructurers that are they are the sort of smaller players primarily are going to be the uptake first because they have the most to gain. Um, whereas the really big players in these sorts of markets, they, they are the ones that in theory are in a cozy position already and have no, or they have less of an incentive. So that, that's certainly one aspect of how this is all going to um, flow and flow together. Um, yeah. And, and um, in terms of just the general onboarding views as well, that's, that's a slightly different one that I don't know if you want to talk about Philip or not, but I mean, it's, it's something, again, we're going to, it, it links into Amazics Capital and, and the um, compliance as a service. Mm-hmm. Um, side and I can say that having talked to them the single biggest priority is to massively streamline the onboarding process so it's extremely quick and efficient and easy you know um, versus what what even what's currently there so the existing Warbly portal going to be completely upgraded the onboarding experience is going to be as, as rapid and seamless as possible and, and don't forget of course they themselves are an institutional company bringing in their own institutional clients and accredited investors onto this. Um, so that's a useful one for us because assuming we end up working with them quite closely in different aspects of our services and what they're doing, that's going to bring and drive commercial business our way as well, inherently of that. So, so we're, we're feeling pretty, pretty bullish about our chances of, uh, of gaining critical mass talking of market launches, right? Uh, same as voice. Uh, we're, we're feeling pretty bullish internally about how we uh, approach this. And we're also talking to local resources on the ground to make a hire um, who's probably Asia-based, Hong Kong, Singapore, with um, the right kind of background too. Everyone, everyone in the chat, live chat, did you hear that? They, they always love the speculation and the, the teases of news. The announcement of the announcement. The, you guys have a guy, a, fi- yeah. a finance guy, an Asian finance guy that knows the markets and the financial markets of Asia. Look at, looking forward to that. Um, you, you, we keep talking about the marketplaces and the market network um, or the merchant network. Is the merchant network almost like a franchise, almost like a white labeled version of, of what you already have built? Sort of. Like franchising, if you think about what that is, you're taking on a, uh, an, a specific brand and you're taking on a specific set of, of, um, of rules uh, mm-hmm. about how you operate to a certain degree standards like a McDonald's, say. What, what you can do here is, yes, you can just do something as simple as an embed uh, our existing UI into into your um, site and get get the smaller cut of fees. But if you want to actually make some serious money off off your off the markets, you can build your own front end, fully white label with your branding, um, and curate your own markets from scratch completely um, instead. So that's not really therefore a franchise. That's that's a completely separate business. It's just mm-hmm. leveraging the underlying OMS um, and and the market making capabilities of it 
to to base the the business off and it it has a range of advantages because apart from anything else you need your primary focus as a dev team is you can cut out probably nine 12 months of dev time and, and all the associated expense you also um you, you also only have to focus primarily then on the front end devs as opposed to needing geeky people like fella <laughs> well we need we need oh, the front end devs are also geeky that's true. I, I can uh, give you I can give you a simple example of 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 a good use case for it, right? So yeah. the DSPs right now for the DAP mark, for DAP, um, if you wanted to use uh, one of these DSPs and you go to their website to check them out, they could have a simple widget on there that says like these are our packages, these are the cost of our packages. Um, if you want to have this state right now, click it on the credit button. And I will tell you the market price right now in the background, it's using the Shintai leasing engine, but no one needs to know that, right? And it says, hey, if you pay 10 DAP, we will stake 100,000, uh, you know, I don't know, 1,000 DAP to your account for one month or whatever, right? And you don't have to know that Shintai is involved in that whatsoever. And the DSP gets staked to them, and they'll also make a fee on, on the uh, on the fact that they have their own UI, which is plugged into our network. We, we could take that a step further. Could you build a Bancor relay on top of that and then be able to pay in any currency for the exact same thing you just described? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. You could do that. And the other thing is um, you can have, sign up your own sub-merchants for markets. So say you cu curate a particular kind of, of marketplace of NFTs, for example. Um, uh, you, you could then sign up merchants who utilize your marketplace and make fees off them as well. Mm -hmm. There's layers to this stuff. And, and yep. the, the better the whole ecosystem does, the better, I guess, the checks token holders do because it's uh, everything's uh, essentially everything has some sort of, yeah. would you, would you call it, it a revenue share? How, how, what do you, how do you describe it? Like how, how the tokens fees. So, so, so ultimately, yeah, a, a, it's like a smaller an ever smaller proportion of fees go back to the underlying um, down to the base, which is Shintai itself. Mm -hmm. um, and, and merchants can set their own fees too. So there's, they're going to be in continuous competition in theory. If, if they get too greedy, they're going to find they have a competition that rapidly sets up and says, right, well, we'll deploy a, a similar market here and pay half the fees. And, and that's what you want. You want healthy competition to, to enable then really what the differentiators become quality of service, the, the, the front end and so on and so forth. But yeah, it all links back to, to checks to demand, inherent checks demand and um, retirement from supply and then some reintroduction back related to liquidity services to the network and so on. But we can bore on about that all day. <laughs> um, so with with all these merchant networks, as they start popping up, I think uh, one thing we didn't hit on is Mint. And that, that allows you to create your own token issuances that, that's so easy. You don't have to do any of the complicated code stuff that Phil probably does in the background here. How's Mint work? What's a tip and what, what are some potential use cases for it? And how do you tie that into these merchant networks we've been talking about? So um, the, Mint, the Mint service is kind of like a bespoke uh, token issuance service, right? Uh, and, and it kind of depends very much on, on the people who would like to do a token issuance, what their requirements and needs are. We talk to them on an individual basis and uh, I can give, uh, two examples without naming names. So someone can, comes to us and says, um, we, we have uh, uh, real estate. We want, to, we want to tokenize it. So, but, but we want you, you guys to do the, the technical side. So we would create the correct and appropriate token contract for them. 
we would set up uh, an ICO format or an auction format uh, token sale. The auction format is what we use for, for the checks token that was running all of last year. And everyone knows the standard ICO format, you know, pay $10, get X many tokens kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, like they, they would pick what kind of, of uh, token issuance format they would want in this sense. We would set up the website for them. We would set up the smart contract for them. Uh, we would get this, we can get this done pretty quickly as long as there's uh, no special requirements that, you know, that have to be in place. And at the time of their choosing, we can activate it and off they go and they can start raising their funds. The idea is to save them on all the, on all the technical costs that come associated with this. Obviously, it's also going to be compliant when we're talking about security tokens, because this will plug in with our regulated decks and compliance as a service system from, yeah. Amazing. Not a Amagix. Yeah, I, I was afraid <laughs> to say it. Then. I was like, yeah, yeah, no. "Ah, which one?" I know because they're very similar, Sander. I know yeah. exactly. And so, I, I, you said you can't name any names. That means there has been some some interest in that, and you're working with a, a, at least a couple different uh, companies, probably, without naming names. Without naming names, yes. Um, <laughs> we are, I believe, um, uh, Ryan, to confirm, um, about to formalize one deal. Um, Amazix themselves are actually bringing multiple deals on, on as well. Um, again, they haven't gone into specifics with me and I wouldn't be able to divulge them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, we've had a lot of interesting contact from companies. Um, and most of them, as far as I'm aware, they, they definitely want to go ahead. What they've realized is that there's a lot more to doing a raise than just doing a raise. You actually have mm-hmm. to you know, have a really good tokenomic model finished, finalized, legally assessed to decide if it's a utility or a security. You need to think about the marketing aspect of this and and, and why give people reasons why. And, and, you know, once they, once you have that kind of side of the things pointed out to them, they've usually gone, this is awesome. Uh, we realized we've probably got about four months of work to do yet before we're ready. And so that's yeah. typically what's happened. We've, we've had some really positive conversations and they've had to go away and, and just go off and, and get themselves ready. Um, so we're, we're, we're expecting a good healthy pipeline. And I think this is also going to feed off itself as once the initial ones go live, it's, it's probably going to be a, a, you know, a snowball effect somewhat off the back of that too. Awesome. I, I, I thought I covered everything earlier. That's why we went on that voice tangent for like 10 minutes, but we didn't talk about the uh, automated resource management. And this is something Ooh. I actually, I legitimately want to know more about it anyway. So I guess just give me the overview of it. Like what is ARM 2.0? Right. So um, compared to the original uh, automated resource management, the new one is uh, significantly improved. It's in final testing phase right now. We're just finishing the website side of it. Um, the smart contract side is finished already. And the difference between this uh, ARM, ARM2 and ARM1 is primarily related to the uh, fact that now we have this upgrade on EOSIO, which lets the, you know, the bill first authorizer um, mm-hmm. upgrade. So now dApps can choose to pay for the users, whereas before users always had to pay for themselves. So. Um, what this means for the ARM is that from now on, it, we anticipate it's only going to be used by dApps who will be paying for their users and want to make sure that they never run out of resources to do so. And also it will be used by potentially 
users of the blockchain who are just heavy users in general and uh you know do lots of transfers or, or you know bot making or whatever you know um, what about um so i know making. like token pocket has a free transact like a, a way to get For free example, trans- yeah. like you pay so it could be tied into a wallet so they would have to have a way to either charge the user and set limits or they'd have to have a way if not kyc a unique identifier um so if they could do that if they had a, uh, like a kyc for example or, or mm-hmm. use like a voice id integration they could say like everyone that's using our wallet gets x like like 10 free transactions per day and they could have shintai tapped in on the back end to kind of facilitate that right and and the way that that works is um you tell us the name of your of your uh smart contract or the account which is going to be paying for cpu right mm-hmm. so um let's say uh, Shintai Lease is paying for CPU of its customers, which we will be doing. So uh, we will add Shintai Lease to the ARM system and you set limits on the, uh, the CPU. So I might say, for example, if we fall below 50 milliseconds of CPU available right now, mm-hmm. then increase it to 500 milliseconds of CPU. And this will be automated in the background block by block so every block will check. Uh, oh, it's a cat. <laughs> I've had a cat appear on a show in a long time. Um, every every time, uh, every block that comes in, we'll check what the CPU usage in that moment is, <laughs> and we will. Uh, and if, like, for example, let's say EIDOS suddenly gets its second wind, and we have like massive congestion on the network, and we go and and Shintai goes from you know, 60% CPU usage to 5,000% CPU usage immediately, right? From mm-hmm. one block to the next. Well, in that block, fine, we'll be out of action. The very next block will be back in action, um, having bought exactly enough um, EOS from the Rex in order to get us to 500 milliseconds of CPU again, right? All from the Shintai. Yeah. It's all automated. So it's, it's presumably it's just, both, right? It's not just automatically the Rex. Uh, right now, it's automatically the VEX because oh, yeah. the EOS markets aren't live. Um, yeah. That will be something we add in. So in the future, there will be the, there will be additional features, such as, for example, you can set up a limit on how much you're willing to pay. You know, in in, in interest to the VEX, mm-hmm. um, and obviously it will automatically pick the cheaper market EOS, uh, the VEX or Shintai, depending on um, where you are. And obviously, on some chains, there is no VEX, so it will only be using the Shintai market mm-hmm. on, for example, Wax where there is no Rex. I'm excited for that way. I'm, I'm really excited for Wax. One, because uh, I had great conversation with William Quigley a couple weeks ago. The man has been there, done that, done everything. Uh, and also, I, I know I, I, I think the NFT leasing marketplaces is further out than a lot of people would like it to be, like the leasing of swords, the example everyone gives. But if anyone could do it, I would say it's going to happen on, on the wax chain because they, they come from op skins. They, they've lived this and breathed this for years. Uh, and they, they, they've obviously got experience working with these digital items that have in, insane valuations. Like how do you use an item that has like a $50,000 price tag on it? Like it, it's like unreasonable for most people. Uh, so, so I could see something there. Um, we, we've been going like an hour now. I'm rambling. We, I think we talked about everything to come in 2020, but that's usually how I finish is like, what could everyone look forward to? I know we talked about it all already once, but maybe like what out of everything we talked about, like what has you the most excited? What's the most important thing to you? And what are we going to see first out of everything? 
<laughs> that's a big question. That's a loaded there's, question. There's so, there's so much going on. It's hard yeah, to I know. You, you guys could break it up, man. We're not one of these projects with just two two things to pick from. We've got about <laughs> 17. I know. Uh, um, I'm, I'm most excited for the for the that bond market, actually. I think I think that market's going to be so different and, and so uh, out there compared to everything else that anyone has seen in blockchain space so far. I think that one's going to be very... Yeah. Very cool to see go live. Um, yeah. And to, and to be clear, what Philip's talking about there is is that's a subset of the wider bond market. So you've got the, the kind of institutional bond market, and you've got bonds intended for smaller companies, dApps, etc., to be able to also issue. So yeah. speaking of bonds, I guess this is an EOS podcast. You guys are an EOS project. Dan Larimer is an EOS guy, EOS IO guy, I guess we'll say. Uh, he, he had the uh, governance proposal with the bond markets where they had the different voting buckets of um, mm. like, like three months, all the way up to 10 year lockup periods of your EOS tokens. If that were to get implemented, because that, that had me really excited. I would definitely put a certain percentage of my tokens in a 10 year lockup. Is that something that eventually shouldn't, it's so hard to talk about because this doesn't even exist yet. There's probably not even a single line of code, but could you see bond swaps if a marketplace like th that uh, originated? Like you have a 10 year lockup of EOS. How, how would you even swap that position? Would you have to like swap the entire account? This, yeah, well, the way, you, like the way you do it is you'd have to move it to a custodian account before you, you, you've staked it. So that was under the control of the, whoever could do the swap because otherwise there's no guarantee that the underlying account would ever return it. Uh, so, but, but in theory, it's doable as a service that could be launched off it. I mean, I think it's more interesting just to, to sort of discuss it as a, as a governance model. Because, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, certainly Daniel's kind of come, come back with quite a few different ideas. And then you've also got the EOS New York proposal too, um, which I think is very interesting. Um, I, I just would like to see some clearer direction with all of this. You know, I'd like to see some sort of uh, foundation <laughs> that actually helps drive this forwards and helps the community on decision-making. I'd like to see a worker proposal fund active and utilizing this huge, huge market cap token to invest back into the chain. Because mm. what you're seeing right now, for example, with Tezos ought to be a wake-up community to the EOS community, which is the reason its market cap is skyrocketing relative to EOS right now is they've just about, it's a, it's a billion dollar STO about to take place on their chain. Well, why is that happening and not on EOS? Great question, right? I mean, mm. Tezos was a mess around the time that EOS was getting on and being efficiently built. It was behind on everything. And if you could argue it's now, in some ways, it's being more effectively run as a chain, um, as, a, as a community in terms of their governance and direction and leadership. I, th I think that should be the wake-up call, if nothing else, is that um, EOS can't, can't sit back and be complacent and that, that there needs to be an embracing of a form of self-organization, decision-making, and a, particularly a worker proposal system of some sort to invest in, in, in the chain and the apps and, and the people doing. And I, actually, I, they can give us some cash for starters. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess this goes without saying, but you guys also, we haven't mentioned it, but EOS42, you guys are also part of a block producer. Everything you just mentioned is, is stuff that obviously EOS42 supports. So vote for them if you're not already. Um, yeah, we're just here providing redundancy on the network, but that has value too. So yeah, absolutely. 
All right. I, I, I don't even know how long we've been going. It's definitely been over an hour. So I think it's a, a nice place to sign off. I think we, we dug into some things that haven't been previously discussed. That's why I, I said I watched the Phil interview. I always try to watch the most recent interview that a project did before I have them on. That way we're not being too redundant, even though all of these topics are super interesting. Um, is there anything else we missed today? I don't think so. We, we yeah. covered a lot. It's been a good deep yeah. dive. Yeah, it's been right. really cool. I think I'm going to be really disappointed here, but we close out the show in a very particular way. Are you guys familiar? Oh. <laughs> we <did> this now? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. I'm not even going to put you guys through it. We're going to end this. We're going to do a, a Go EOS on three, all right? That's how, we end, that's how we end these shows. All right. All right. We'll, we'll go through. So, all right, guys. I'm here with Shintai. I'm here with Phil. I'm here with David. I'm Zach Gall. Uh, this is everything. Yes, this is a terrible close. And then we do a one, two, three. Go, Eos! Go Eos! <laughs>